Hey everybody and welcome back to BRIM, a global community at the intersection of climate innovation and justice. Today we're focusing on the topic of community energy. What does that mean? How does it work? And who are a few people in our world today that are working on innovative projects to break down our system of who owns what, especially when it comes to the resource that powers our world. So today we're going to hear from a few different folks in a conversation we had as a group a couple weeks ago, focused on the work of Crystal Huang with People Power Solar Cooperative, and Julius Mujuni, who is the country lead for the Uganda team of New Energy Nexus. The hope for this call was to coordinate together about what we've learned across different parts of the world as we think about standing up community energy projects, and also to start to think about ways that our organizations could plug in together across BRIM, the cooperative that Crystal runs, and the organization that Julius is a part of. Hopefully this is the start of a really fun set of partnerships that everyone gets an early view into. But to start, we can't wait to share this conversation with you all. And thank you so much for being here. Take care. Um, sure. So, so yeah, I'm happy to just kick start something. So, hi everyone. I'm, I'm Crystal Huang. I use any pronouns, and I am calling in from California, very close to Daniel in Berkeley, the land of the Chechenyo-speaking Ohlone people. And um, I am with the People Power Solar Cooperative. We exist to create a just and inclusive transition to renewable energy by enabling everyone to own and control our energy future. Um, all these words are very important because um, it's important to understand that we're controlling our future, not just energy. It's important to understand that when we are transitioning, what does control and ownership really mean when it comes to community decision-making power? It's also important to understand what energy is if we are to have ownership and control, because you frankly can't own and control anything that you don't understand at all. So we spend a lot of time um, because we're organizing everyday people to shape their energy future, we have to understand how to best talk about energy in a way that will truly create real solutions for generations to come. So um, we've created public educations and many different projects to engage people into, well, we don't create projects to engage people. Our members have created projects to start to meet their needs and really understand what energy really means and start to build this alternative from the current failing system that's shutting off, getting more expensive, and even killing people with the wildfires. Um, not, to, <clears throat> not to mention the climate change that is an impact of, of the result of the current system. So that's what we do in a nutshell. And I would love to share with you um, the framework that we've been using, because we realize that a big part of the problem is the, as long as we're commodifying energy, as long as we're looking at energy as this thing that you buy from some corporation that you get from the planet, you're always going to be extracting and forgetting how to be living in harmony with nature and with each other, because our current system exists in this domination over nature, domination from one group of humans over another group of humans, so that we sacrifice um, a number of people in order to benefit the greater good. So if we really want to change that, we have to look at what energy really is and, and what the framing is. So I really appreciate Brim also looking at like water, food, and um, I forgot what the other one is, um, beside energy what's the fourth one land land ties everything together but yeah yeah, yeah. so so we actually came up with a different framework and i would love to share with you but i'll, I'll stop there before i just want to hear from y'all um and then see if you want to see how we look at um the framing 
Cool. Like perfect, per- perfect job. Perfect job. And yeah, we, I definitely want us to dive more into the, the framework as well. Cause it's, it's really exciting. And also I took a look through the governance document that you sent me on how you actually structure the cooperative. And that was one of the most fun times I've had reading through a governance document. About bylaws. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's actually drawn <laughs> out in animation. Um, I it's think a it's legal such document. An, yeah, it's such an incredible tool to be able to actually allow people in from an educational standpoint. Um, I know that was the first time I really understood <laughs> how a cooperative runs on the back end. So um really excited to jump more into that. But Julius, do you want to take us away next? Yeah, sure. Um yeah, thanks so much, everyone. Um, my name is Julius Mujmi. I'm the team lead at Inventor. Inventor is a program of New Energy Nexus in Uganda, and we've been doing this work since uh, 2016. Our work primarily focuses on energy access because, you know, Uganda with a population of nearly 47 million people, uh, you still have almost 70% of the population still lacking access to uh, clean energy. So it's a huge problem. And for the last, you know, over six years, we've been uh, working with grassroots organizations like uh, community-based organizations and, and village savings and loan associations to really um, empower, you know, people in off-grid communities in Uganda can have access to uh, off-grid technologies. And so by that, I mean things like, you know, solar home kits, uh, improved cook stoves for clean cooking, um, non-electric water filters, as well as uh, briquettes and a couple of other technologies. And so the way we are trying to solve this challenge of energy access is through entrepreneurship. And what that entails is energy financing for these entrepreneurs, uh, providing them, you know, capital to be able to start these enterprises, uh, providing them mentorship and coaching so that they can, you know, uh, create sustainable enterprises. Uh, We also have um, a mentorship and, um, you know, mentorship and coaching program. We take them through a bootcamp and a couple of other things. So in brief, this is what we've done over the last uh, six years. And now we are at the beginning of really trying to create what we are calling, um, you know, energy cooperatives that are going to be focusing on providing energy for productive use, uh, particularly targeting member, you know, cooperative members um, in off-grid communities. And we are very much at the early stage of, you know, trying to figure out how this would look like. Uh, because, again, to add context to this, um, nearly 80% of Uganda's population is employed in the agriculture sector. And so what this means, you know, coupled with the other challenge I mentioned, a lack of access to energy, you can imagine how much untapped potential uh, there is because, you know, People just simply can't use energy productively, especially in the agriculture sector. So over the next couple of months, uh, we'll be finalizing, you know, this idea of uh, powering agriculture as a sector and would like to contribute um, to this change as an organization over the next uh, couple of years. So hopefully this gives you a brief introduction to our work and I'm happy to, to be part of this discussion and I look forward to hearing from everyone. Awesome. Thank Thanks you so much, you, Thomas. Yeah, no, thank you, Julius. Um, you know, I, I heard Julius, I first met Julius at COP27 in Egypt, and he was speaking on a panel focused on energy access. And, um, you know, as soon as the meeting ended, the panel ended, Julius can attest, I ran right over to him. I was like, I need to talk to this guy. <laughs> He's working on some really cool stuff and I need to make sure that we're, uh, we're connected afterwards. So um, it's been great getting to know you, Julius, and um, thank you for the awesome work that you're doing. I also love the connection that you're, uh, you're making between energy and food, right? It's you know, 80% of the people work in agriculture in Uganda. Um, how do you support them in the clean energy transition 
um, you know, maybe some of Crystal's work and her governance can help you guys figure out maybe the structure of it, et cetera. So um, anyway, one potential plugin already. Um, Orajit, I see your face next. Do you want to you wanna jump in? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm Orjit Reeves I'm from India. I am currently uh, working at the Indian Institute of Technology in Kapinagar. It's a, it's a university and I work as the, I work on the science communication team here as their uh, designer and uh, videographer. So you must be wondering how my work is related to all of this is because, uh, so I have a background in uh, zoology, I have a bachelor's in zoology and a master's in environmental science. So apart from being a photographer, designer, videographer here on campus, I am also very much inclined and still in touch with my academic side, and as well as in, I'm still in touch with research. So uh, my focus areas are uh, water pollution, air pollution, and specifically I work, uh, I specifically am interested in microplastics, and recently I've been interested in the uh, energy sector as to provide uh, renewable energies to isolated areas around the world and the research that is currently going on surrounding that domain. Uh, yeah, so that's about it. Uh, I met Thomas in, uh, last year, uh, early last year. It was, it was April, right? Yeah, I think I think it was literally this time last. It was literally this time. Yeah, it was, it was a year back. Uh, so he had come over uh, to India with, for some uh, tagged along with his dad for some work, <laughs> and uh, I met him through my dad. Uh, so apparently, both of our dads <laughs> had some work, and. Both of them were like, okay, let's just take our sons to this meeting. All right. <laughs> and then uh, then he found out that uh, I'm also an environmentalist. So he was like, okay, would you like to have a talk about this thing that I'm building? I'm like, okay, sure. And here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Thanks, Arjit. Yeah. And we, we spent some time down in the, the Sundarban National Park. Um, which is 40% in India, 60% in Bangladesh, and um, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my whole I life. I heard it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's crazy. It's like um, Florida on steroids, but only the good parts of Florida. <laughs> I might get in trouble for saying that. But um, yeah, thank you, Orajit, for, for showing me around and... Um, he, it's he's awesome. only saying that because he because he didn't see the lethal parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bengal Royal Bengal Tigers. Yeah. You didn't encounter a tiger or a crocodile. So I was about to say no. We did not see the fifteen foot crocodiles, so that's probably why I have a, <laughs> a positive influence on it. Anyway, um, Daniel, I see you next. You want to jump in? Yeah, sure. So hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Collins Wildman. I work at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, and I'm a battery researcher. So I spend my time uh, taking materials and trying to figure out how we can potentially improve the way in which we put materials down on the electrode of a battery and improve the performance of batteries and sort of exploring that space. So for me, I come from a very technical side, um, and being a part of this group is awesome because it gives me an opportunity to look for ways where hopefully my work can be incorporated into how communities get access to energy. So that's really what brings me to this group and sort of excites me is looking for opportunities to help in that space. Uh, yeah. Cool. Thanks, Daniel. Also, Daniel and I went to uh, church together growing up. So um, <laughs> if everyone's looking for the true, uh, true depths of the, the Genesis, there it is. Um, no pun intended. How about that? Uh, <laughs> all right. And Andy, I see you have also joined. Thanks for being here. Can you hear us okay? Yes, yes, I can. Uh, but I am unable to use my video at the moment. 
No worries at all. Um, do you want to give everyone a quick, quick intro to you and um, some of the stuff that you're working on as well? Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Andrew Vanda from Lusaka, Zambia. Um, I work as an information advocacy for the Alliance for Community Action, and I recently founded an organization which aims to sort of build uh, capacity for young people to participate uh, in different sectors of our country. Um, I think my interest here, uh, of which I even went to school for now, I'm a development student, I think it's pretty much uh, sustainable development and energy is something which has really been coming up on my radar, as has been noted by the first speaker where uh, because of the lack of energy for most Africans, uh, Zambia included, you find that the potential uh, uh, which they have is really not being uh, met to the maximum uh, because uh, the, all the innovation they can they, they could be doing and all that um, is lacking because they don't have access um, to energy. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Andy. Um, and yeah, you and Julius will have to connect because Julius was like, you know, you have friends in Zambia. That's crazy. They only get, I don't know, they get, they only get one rainy season a year. I can't imagine <laughs> only having one rainy season a year because Uganda has two, especially from an agriculture perspective. That must, um, you know, that's when you think about the intersection of food and food and energy, there's a lot. Isn't to that the story in California too? <laughs> I've heard I've heard there are a couple more rainy seasons in in California than usual recently. Oh, so thanks to climate change. Thanks to climate change. Also, this is an aside, but last week was the first time I ever heard about the concept of I think it was atmospheric rivers. Are you are you up on that? What? Yeah, it's basically when the atmosphere opens apparently and a river falls through it as rain. <laughs> Wow. And maybe no, maybe no, no, no. He's joking. <laughs> He's joking. So what an atmospheric river is, it's basically so much water is condensed is is accumulated in the sky as cloud and it travels and it's it called a tropical bloom. I was like, what is this? Why are we? Yeah, I mean, like a monsoon will basically be like a, an atmospheric river. <laughs> All right, guys, come on. I actually thought I was explained to me as a literal river falling out of the sky. So maybe no, I mean, no. <laughs> it is a lot of rain, though. It's a lot of rain. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for the introductions and for bearing with my uh, lack of knowledge and bad sense of humor. Um, as I said earlier to start, um, you know, we have a couple people here from the BRIM team. Um, you know, recently our last team call was centered around the concept of community owned energy and water. So um, Orjit, Daniel, and another teammate of ours, Jen, who couldn't be here today, led that meeting. And really what it was focused on was an overview of you know, what is community energy? Um, you know, where have we seen it happening in the past and where could it potentially have impacts moving into the future, right? Um, Andy was not one of the leaders of that meeting, but he immediately sort of jumped in afterwards and said, you know, there's huge potential for this to have an impact in Lusaka, around Lusaka, in, in Zambia as well. Um, so the next step in our journey is how do we envision these conceptual designs actually leading to to projects out into the world right so crystal i don't know if this makes sense to you but maybe this is a good time for you to to jump a little bit into the framework of people power solar cooperative and um you know i i'm not sure exactly i'm sure you have an idea of how you'd like to break it down um but i i'd love if that makes sense to you to invite you into um into sharing a little bit about that Sure. And I want to give everyone a heads up that I, when I get invited, I stir pots and it's going to be a huge um, shift in a lot of our current understanding. So if we can listen to this with an open mind and try to see how this works, it really help um, us try to figure out what 
how to actually build real solutions. Because ultimately, as we know, if you're building a house, the most important thing is the foundation. If we cannot get the foundation right, the house is going to collapse. And um, as Albert Einstein has famously said, you cannot solve a problem with the same consciousness that got us into it. So if we're really talking about solving the climate crisis, we have to understand what is the consciousness that got us into this issue. Um, so that's, that's how I want to preface it real quick and then go into talking about what energy really means to us and how to actually talk about energy in the way that actually truly get to, get to connect with a lot of people. And when I say this, um, um, it's going to seem like devaluing the technical aspect of energy a lot. And that, is, and, and that is certainly not the intent at all, because there is a lot of value in the technicality of energy. However, our society today put way too much value on the technical side and completely devalue the human connection and the care economy that happens, that allows a lot of work that happens. Um, far, like I'll take farming as an example. You don't farm simply because you are pulling food out of the land. You farm because there is a care that humans do with the land, with the seeds, with the water, and with each other. So then they can feed each other, they can support each other to go through really this kind of hard labor. So understanding that care and relationship behind is really important. That's where we're going to kind of focus on. And I, I actually provided some slides to actually walk you through how we talk about energy. And if you can give me awesome. the um, screen share access, I will be happy to, to kind of walk you through what energy means to us. Because like I said at the beginning, you cannot talk about ownership and control of something you don't understand. If we were trying to shape the, our energy future, we have to understand what energy really is. And it's going to feel a little spiritual because... It's, it's going to change the way we tend to think what energy really looks like. And I'll start with where we are. And um, so where we are right now, you can see, is all life on Earth, the planet Earth, exists because of the sun's solar energy. And each day and night, whether we notice them or not, the sun and the moon rises in the east and sets in the west, moving north or south across the um, across the horizon as the season change. And it is within the circular spiralic system that plants breathe oxygen and that we experience the living world. There's that relationship happening, happening there. And when we recognize this ancient state of regenerative motion, we understand that energy is a verb. Energy is a relationship that's constantly moving, alive around us and within us, always, never stagnant, always moving. However, many of all of us today have forgotten how to be in relationship with the energy of the earth in our solar system, especially the people in the United States, because the dominant economy today exists in a direct contradiction to this. Instead, advancing a linear narrative of endless extraction, industry, and infrastructure. This is an economy designed for the purpose of accelerating a linear model of exponential growth of corporate profit, with the result of accelerating a linear projection of exponential global warming and climate collapse. Now, as a result of this extractive linear economy, the Earth's energy has transitioned into a new and unfamiliar form to all of us one that reflects the imbalance created by our lost connection to the Earth's cycles of regeneration and is signaling the need to change the nature of our relationship and the economy. So we can really do this by remembering our way forward, remembering that the system we exist within, the systems that create and support life are circular, Remembering that enough energy to not only survive, but thrive exists without extraction when we are in relationship with the natural balance of regeneration. So a lot of what we're doing at People Power Solar Cooperative is trying to get people to think like, how can we apply our energy to restoring our relationship with energy and each other to collectively redesign our economies to reflect the regenerative system we live within? So we're talking about partnering with the technology, top partnering with these products, so then we can actually be in better relationship and we'll create cooperative systems of energy co-governance 
and create resilience in our communities by deepening our relationships with energy so that when we lose access to it, we remember that it can be restored. Or even better, if you don't have access to it, you can build it and just always have it and not have to wait for big corporations to, to take it away from you because they don't want, they, because you cannot pay for it or simply because they want your land for some other purpose. And then they take what, what, what is yours away without you knowing. So we developed this thing called the tools for transition. It is how we as People Power Solo Cooperative apply our energy to activate the transition from an extractive to a regenerative energy economy. It focuses on reestablishing relationship with energy and each other that centers around and inspired by the four forms of energy on earth. That is air, fire, water, and soil. So we look at this kind of like a tools in the toolbox needed to build the way forward. Tools for Transition is a series of um, templates, activities, educational content, and events for people to start thinking about what that relationship would look like so the projects that we're building can create, exist in an ecosystem that we can support each other. So uh, when we're looking at... Um, Tools of transition is really important for us to also focus on and really look at the the uh, the um, movement generations just transition framework. Really recognizing that responding to climate crisis and building tangible alternatives to the current system requires that we restore our relationship, and that means recognizing where we are today, like the extraction that's happening on the left hand side that looks like um, it's a connection between extraction dig, burn, dump, militarization, enclosure of wealth and power, consumerism mindset, all of that is part of exploitation. And how do we move away from that and going into cooperation, which is deeply connected in regeneration, deep democracy, ecological and social well-being. And the most important thing, it's all rooted in care and sacredness which is something that unfortunately a lot of us have forgotten. So we're, we basically use this framework for movement generation, which is a nonprofit in the United States that talks about a just transition to really see how do we look at energy in this way? Because we, as, we live in a society where we look at energy as a thing that relates to other things. We need energy to do X, Y, Z. But as we just talk about when energy is a relationship, we understand that my ability to be breathing right now is a relationship between the plants that's around me and the soil and the sunshine and all the pollinators that's around it. That is energy. It's not oxygen. And I need some machine to create oxygen and completely ignoring the process. And I'm sure Daniel, as a chemical engineer who is the expert in process, you understand all that, that process is key and what we're trying to talk about is energy is that process and we have to respect that relationship between the living and the non-living being that creates what we have so we're basically looking at these four elements the water soil fire and air and we call that force for transition with a number four because the four is the four elements and our intention is to re restore our relationships with these fundamental energy forms remembering that they are what we need, not only today, but for generations to come. And that's something that we have always depended on for our entire existence, even before the existence of humanity. And be because they are foundational to life. And maybe even more importantly, they are also the resource that private companies use to exploit to power the current system. So how do we change that? We have to build an alternative because right now all of us rely on these um, extraction and how do we, in order for us to unplug, we have to figure out what is the ecosystem that we need to create. So um, we also recognize that right now, a lot of fire is being reinvented with technology. So we look at electricity as part of fire too. So we basically um, created this framework as a way to really understand how these projects relate to each other. So when we, when we look at this, it's, um, we created this energy ecosystem by understanding how these four elements exist within each other. So it's not just energy connecting to food and energy connecting to water, energy connecting to land, energy connecting to 
fire, which is burning, but is re recognizing that they are what created energy. So it kind of it flips the script completely upside down. And we've organized these ideas along with other ideas and, and projects that our members have been doing, just to give you an example on how they can show up um, into this framework. So we, we can see that when, when we really recognize that resilience is an ecosystem that threads together different experiences and expertise. So a lot of times when we're looking at like, energy projects, we think about these hardware stuff, like the battery, like the solar and the things, we put them under the fire part um, because that's electricity. But frankly, a lot of people do get, most people on the planet, even in the United States, uses fire to get energy, like fossil fuel burning for cars, for power plants. Most of that is all fire and electricity. We put that all in that framework. And then we also talk a lot about watershed because we recognize that the production and the um, supply of energy depends on water and vice versa. Like you take California as an example, the largest consumer of energy is water. To move water across the California Water Project to the Southern California so people who live in technically the desert can have access to water and pretend that they live in an oasis. So water is deeply connected to energy. And in fact, water is the limiting capacity of the energy production. We're talking about like any industry requires water. And then soil, like we'll talk about food, permaculture, design, or traditional ecological knowledge. All of these things is recognizing that that is also energy. When we talk about um, when we, a lot of times when we start at People Power Solar Cooperative engaging with members or, or any audience, we like to start with what engages you, what gives you energy. Nobody says solar panel gives me energy. Nobody says my car gives me energy to move me around. People say food, people say laughter, people say their friends and family, people say young people, people say songs, people say animals, people say all sorts of things. And there's a reason for that. It's not because people are stupid. They don't understand energy is actually technology. It's because that's what energy is. And how do we actually merge them together so the technology can actually pair with our lived experience so that we can get everyday people to be part of the transition. And of course, the last element is air. And we look at air, not just the, the um, cleansiness of air, but also understanding that people coming together were breathing the same air in the same room. So how do we actually look at it as community events? So look at that as storytelling, as I'm breathing, I'm telling my story. All that is air too. And that builds power because my story is going to influence another person's story who then tells me their story. And then as we're engaging with each other, I'm excited and now I'm energized. So like this is basically, this is the basic framework that we use for our project. And I could just stop there, I think. I see, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> so I know this changes a lot on, on the framing and I, yeah. this is something that we work for many years to realize, oh my goodness, we've been looking at this the wrong way. Mm. I love this crystal and thank you so much for, for sharing and taking the time to, to pull this together. Um, yeah, I, I love the, the concepts of, you know, it's pairing technology with lived experience, right? It's, you know, energy doesn't just come from technology. You know, we're not just going to be able to innovate our way out of this, right? I, um, I feel like that's a very American narrative, right? You know, we can get ourselves into this, but, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll innovate our way out of those new technology and make more money off that too, somehow. Um, it's exactly. a, it's a really important piece to the conversation to, to bring it to that cultural level too. So, um, thank you so much. Forget, I see you. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? How is everyone doing? Doing really well. Were you able to see some of the, the presentation from Crystal? I uh, just like the last slide, but that was a powerful presentation, I guess. I miss it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll definitely share it with you more afterwards so you can see the, the full thing. Um, wow. 
but awesome. Does anyone have any questions for Crystal? Um, I know I might have one or two, but I want to offer up uh, the floor to anybody who might have an idea or a question. I don't have a question, but just to, you know, compliment, uh, rather appreciate uh, Crystal's work. Really amazing. Um, and very inspirational. Thanks, Thank Crystal. Agreed. So uh, um, I have a, a question. Are, do you guys partner at all with East Bay Community Energy? So, and for those who don't know, I'm now sort of diving into the specifics of the Bay Area. Um, that's a, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to mess this up, but it's a community energy provider um, that partners with the larger energy grid system. And my understanding is that you have more of a choice in terms of where your energy is coming from by going to an energy aggregator. Um, this is something that I'm still trying to educate myself on, but I was wondering if you could comment at all on sort of East Bay community energy and how that interfaces with the type of work that you guys do. Yeah, I ha I'm happy to. I'm happy to. So East Bay Community Energy, for those who don't know, is basically a load-serving entity that is an, that provides as an alternative for areas that is regulated, which means you have monopoly utilities, you don't have a choice, but then when you have a community choice energy program on the side, that means now you have a choice, and this choice is not for profit. This choice is actually run by the public. The board is um, being seated by the cities that are being served by this load serving entity. And um, so in fact, East Bay Community Energy is a outcome of a lot of energy democracy advocacy work that has been going on in California for more than 10 years. In fact, the, the, the work has actually been featured in the energy democracy book that was published in 2017, talking about how to create a municipalized scale for energy democracy with a vision of the this um, really innovative plan called the Local Development Business Plan, which is what makes the East Bay Community Energy so, so special compared to all the other community choice energy program out there because they, at the get-go, when they were established, spend $500,000, that's half a million dollars on creating a business plan called the Local Development Business Plan, which is effectively a roadmap on making sure that this entity being created is going to support local development, is going to create jobs locally, it's going to create economic, like, it, it can create more economy, um, economic activities for the local communities along with clean energy and clean air. So really talking about energy as a economic revitalization tool. But unfortunately, and this is a really important topic, I'm glad you brought it up, Daniel. So we do work with an East Bay Community Energy. Unfortunately, um, how you run a corporation or how you run an enterprise makes a big difference. Like what consciousness you have. I'm going to bring it back from the beginning when I started talking is, that you cannot solve a problem with the same consciousness that got you into it. And so when the East Bay Community Energy was founded, they hired, and when you're running a big utility load-serving company, a load-serving entity that serves millions of people, this is the largest community choice energy program in the state of California, you have to have somebody with experience. You can't just hire some random person who has a vision to run this thing. They have to understand how to run an energy company. But who has experience running energy company? These are the people who have experience running the energy company that does not serve us. So then we now hired an entire team of people who uses the consciousness of the existing problem to run an entity that has this innovative potential to build local development instead of extracting from it. And it's because of that, they're now slowly scrapping the local development business plan and actually procuring power from far away, outside, like sometimes even out of state to allow like the, the um, affordability and all these things. And, and understandable trade-offs, if you just look at what is important based on the existing consciousness of what how you look at the world versus the consciousness that you put people for 
first instead of money first. And so there's a lot of problem. Um, I'll just, and, and this is a perfect example to, sh to show like when you don't have that paradigm shift, you are going to repeat the same problem, even if all the money has already been spent building really high quality roadmap to revitalize our economy using energy. It's going to nothing because the consciousness is out there. Yeah. Good question, Daniel. Yeah, thank you for that answer. That that's really insightful and helpful. So, uh, if I might ask, uh, in continuation of the last question that Daniel asked, so how does this East Bay Community Energy like, uh, like, how do they procure the energy? Like, what is the energy that they're giving out to the community? Because I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it's basically just like a typical, I mean, power company, you, you procure energy by getting signing contracts with developers, like power, okay. power producers, and you can okay. you can sign a contract by um, procuring from an out of state existing um, energy supply or like large energy project because it's cheaper, it's more cost effective to build. So there's a lot of like large wind farm that gets built in California, not within the regions that, that the um, agency serves yet. But um, I mean, there are some being built, but like when we're talking about climate resilience, centralized energy model, these big system is not going to save us when the power gets shut off and I don't have battery here. Also, when we're looking at wildfires in California, most of the wildfires are caused by transmission lines and these transmission lines bring renewable energy from afar to us a lot of times. So like when we're really looking at climate resilience, it's also really important to look at how do we build decentralized energy? How do you build community scale microgrid, the stuff that you guys are talking about? But how do we look at it in a way that really understands the new consciousness that's needed or not even new it's like for us to remember our relationship with energy so we can actually get back into the regenerative cycle of the earth all right okay so so that means like i don't know how it is in the u.s but uh, i'm guessing like uh this is spread all over u.s where like you are running transmission lines across states and like over very long distances and carrying energy. Uh, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, is that the case? Uh, most mostly over the US. Yeah. All right. That is that is problematic. <laughs> it's definitely problematic. Yeah. And very I, problematic. Um, I, and let me show you even more example of problematic is the the island of Puerto Rico, which is a colony of the United States. Like they're building centralized power plant that even relies on power that comes from the mainland, relies on coal that comes from the mainland, even though Puerto Rico is a sunny island. Okay. It's the consciousness that's the issue. It's not the technical. It's not a technological te technological problem at all. Oh. I don't. Uh, I, I don't see the logic in that. But um, the logic is you make money. Yeah. As a private. I mean, I get that. <laughs> I get that. But I mean, from uh, from like uh, long term and sustainable standpoint, I don't know why you would do that. You use the money especially to build a puncher. Especially to especially to an island. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Puerto Rico example is a really great one, Crystal, because it, you know, even they specifically in Puerto Rico, they are perfectly positioned in the path of pretty much every hurricane that comes up into North America, right? So they're constantly being hit. Um, you know, there's some some really great groups out there. Um, another one that Daniel put me in touch with called Collective Energy, that's building microgrid systems on community health centers in Puerto Rico. So like you know, when um, the power lines go down that are connected to transmission lines into the mainland, um, you know, hospitals lose their energy, right? They lose their ability to keep oxygen on for people who need it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the health centers that have microgrids set up, 
um, within their own energy system that's not connected to the larger grid, they're the ones that are able to actually maintain their power, um, keep people alive. Uh, there are stories of people being rolled down the street to those health centers because they're they're the ones that still have power, right? So um, definitely just interesting to see the difference between strategies. But um, any other questions? I have one maybe to wrap us up, but uh, Crystal, I know has a has a hard stop in in six minutes. So um, Andy, forget. Do you guys want to ask any questions or? Um, no pressure, but want to open up the floor for you guys too. No, I don't have a question from my side. Okay. No question from my side as well. Um, great presentation. Um, lots of things to think about. Cool. Um, and just so you know, Crystal, Forget is working with the Brim team on um, food spaces. So um, these community rooftop gardens that we're thinking about, she's been um, a real leader in sort of figuring out how we're going to do that. Um, I also met Forget at COP26 when she was talking about the intersection of education and food. And um, anyway, I hope I hope we all get to connect more moving forward. But um, I guess one final question to maybe sort of get us headed in the right direction um, in a follow-up maybe is um, you know, you spoke about this sort of co-governance of energy, right? Um, I'm curious what that means to you in the context of some stuff we just talked about, like investor-owned utilities or these monopoly utilities versus envisioning a, a different type of system. Like what, what does energy co-governance mean to you? Um, and how are you thinking about how that plays into the work of the cooperative, maybe through a couple of specific projects. Like I saw on the list, you have this battery collective, but I also know, you, I remember you telling me about this, this community fridge, right? That's powered by a microgrid where food is um, offered to the community. So maybe if you could touch on energy co-governance and within the context of a project or two, that would be awesome. Yeah, sure. So given my, um, our definition of energy being a relationship, and the relationship to each, each other, energy co-governance simply means that people are participating. So we look at the just transition framework that I briefly shared on the slide. It's it, That slide in itself could be a week-long um, class, to be honest, and um, not taught by us, definitely by Movement Generation, who created it. And um, it's really recognizing that when we are co-governing energy, as the, we're talking about understanding where it's coming from having self-determination for the production and the consumption as well as the relationship and management of energy of this relationship right now just to just to kind of give a clarity right now the way energy is being governed is very much a passive one We've been told for more than a hundred years by we I'm talking about those who are privileged enough to have electricity, um, the society that is privileged enough to have ex electricity, we are being told for a hundred years to just sit back and pay your bills and not worry about what's happening at the back end. And what we have as a result is climate disaster, is community environmental pollution, it's, it's economic injustice. So what that means is that our role has to continue to be a consumer where our, when we think about energy, it's simply this product we buy. As long as energy be, is being thought of as this thing that you buy from the wall through plugging a, appliance to the wall or putting some gasoline to your car or putting something, as long as you look at energy as a thing that you buy and your role is just a buyer and your job is to make money so then you can prove that you deserve to have warmth, have all these power that is essential to your survival. That is how this works. So, so now co-governance of energy is then breaking apart your role as more than just a consumer. You're a producer. You're a lover. You are a creator. You create stories around life and then engaging with people, like all of that. So it's really important for us to really see energy co-governance this as an equal between the battery sharing program 
versus a video that talks about how people are living in cooperation with each other versus um, food sovereignty, like a community garden, people come together and feed each other, um, potluck, all of that is what co-governance of energy would look like because that's the ecosystem of us relying on each other instead of waiting on someone up top to save us. Well said. Awesome. Um, and I, I can't wait for, for us to continue to learn more about the work that you're doing, Crystal. Um, and Julius, I know your project is very early stage, so it's just beginning to work itself out, but I'm so excited to, to hear how that continues to progress. Um, you know, we're in the very early stages at Brim of thinking about all of this too. So it's been immensely helpful. I know for me, um, but I'm sure for, for other folks on this call and, um, Crystal, if it's okay with you, I'd love to share the, the governance document that's on your website with our group. It's public document. Um, Awesome. So I, I'll make sure everyone has that um, and we can we can share that around and um, start to find ways to put it into the world. Because Yeah, like in fact, we have a, a cooperative that was created in Ohio by using right. our, our bylaws. So our bylaws is in Creative Commons. Anyone can use it. Co-governance right there, people. Um, thanks for your time, Crystal. We appreciate you. And thanks everyone else for being here. Um, have a great weekend. It's that time. Yeah. So. <laughs> Thank you all so much. And if this can help influence any way Brim is looking at how you frame your projects, I would absolutely love to see how we could, because it's like I said, from the very beginning, it's all about the consciousness that we look at the world. Love it. Thanks everybody. Have a great weekend. Talk to you all Thank soon. You. Thank you all. Great hey, to guys. meet you. Yeah, have a great weekend as well. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Hey everybody and welcome back to BRIM, a global community at the intersection of climate innovation and justice. Today we're focusing on the topic of community energy. What does that mean? How does it work? And who are a few people in our world today that are working on innovative projects to break down our system of who owns what? especially when it comes to the resource that powers our world. So today we're gonna to hear from a few different folks in a conversation we had as a group a couple weeks ago, focused on the work of Crystal Huang with People Power Solar Cooperative, and Julius Mujuni, who is the country lead for the Uganda team of New Energy Nexus. The hope for this call was to coordinate together about what we've learned across different parts of the world as we think about standing up community energy projects, and also to start to think about ways that our organizations could plug in together across BRIM, the cooperative that Crystal runs, and the organization that Julius is a part of. Hopefully this is the start of a really fun set of partnerships that everyone gets an early view into, but to start, we can't wait to share this conversation with you all, and thank you so much for being here. Take care.